I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. It's bad fish. Not like going down the pond chasing bluegills or tommy cots. This shark, swallow you whole. Welcome to Out of Theaters, the podcast that reviews the movies of yesteryear, this year. My name is Billy Culpa, and I'm here with my good friend and film critic, Will Piper. Will, hello there. Hey, Billy. Hey, have you seen any good movies lately? As a matter of fact, I have seen a bunch of good movies lately. I happened to watch four science fiction movies in four days last week, and I actually, I have opinions, but I wanted to get your take on these before we get to today's uh, featured movie, Jaws. Okay. So I saw Looper, Her... Ex Machina, and a new one that's still in theaters, so technically it's off limits for us, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Ad Astra. And I wondered if you had seen any of those and maybe what your thoughts were on them. I have seen three of those, the ones that are no longer in theaters. I have not seen Ad Astra yet, although I am curious about Ad Astra. Of the three you've seen, which was your favorite? Let's see. Out of Looper, Her... And Ex Machina. And Ex Machina. I would say Looper was my favorite. Mainly because, and I believe you may have mentioned this on Twitter, it sort of has an advantage because it is both a science fiction film and an action-packed sort of a film. Yeah, I think that's right. It's it's exciting. Mm-hmm. It genuinely is. I mean, I think, and I think Looper, which is it takes place in the future where these time people they they send. It's kind of convoluted, but they basically a hundred years after this movie takes place, they take people, send them back into the past where they're killed. And thus, or maybe not 100 years, it's but 30 years. 30 years, I'm they, sorry. They're still, it's the that's same right, guy. They're still, yeah. yeah. So they send him back into the past where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a looper. He shoots them. He's like works for the gangsters. But there's also sort of another subplot where there's like telekinesis. People are developing telekinesis. And somehow somebody developed this telekinesis and becomes what they call the Rainmaker, who's like the super criminal who lives 30 years from now and rules everything. And what I really like about that telekinesis subplot in Looper, and, and you're absolutely right, by the way, the, the fact that it's an action movie and a science fiction movie really helps it. I mean, because science fiction is known for its like intense action, like 2001, when they approach Smart a planet ass. for 15 minutes. It's just so intense. If you didn't hear the last incarnation of the podcast, <laughs> all you need to know is this. Billy is completely wrong about 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, former co-host Kevin Haas agreed with me. We called it... Um, Establishing shot. I believe movie. you were both completely wrong. <laughs> um, I really like, you know, there, there's that, you know, entry level sort of film cliche where if you show a gun, yes, at some point it's going to be fired. It's what's known as Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun. If like there's Chekhov, a gun in the first act, if there's a gun on the mantle in the first act, it had better be fired in the third like act. Like the comms guy from Star Trek? Chekhov? Yeah, that guy. Yes. <laughs> Chekhov. It's sort of like in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Chekhov's can of dog food. It's shown in the first act. It's used in the third act. <laughs> I like they they show you the telekinesis thing. It's like a it's a dumb trick that boys use to pick up girls. At right, parties. it's like they flip coins in the air and right. stuff. And but it turns out to be like the super villains, like ultimate power by the end. And you forget about it between the beginning of the movie and the end. And it's it's very it's a really cool. I in summary, that movie's great. I think I agree. It, that was my favorite. I agree, one too. and I don't want to spoil anything about the plot because it's definitely worth watching. But one thing I really like about it, and I won't talk about sort of his part in the movie i like the kid in that movie a lot the little boy i yeah. really like him i like sort of how his character goes and that's another you know that's got uh emily blunt 
who is also in another great recent science fiction movie, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise. I told my wife that Emily Bunt, that's my girl now. Like, I really like her. I like her, too. She's good in everything. She's, like, attractive and kicks ass like she's she's really like just very competent and she's married to jim from the office you know oh, i didn't know that that's disappointing that's why she's in uh quiet place i haven't seen quiet place oh because he directed stars in it i know that i know it. that um emily blunt is like what who plays catwoman michelle fiver anne hathaway anne hathaway, anne hathaway. And she's like what if anne hathaway were good yeah i, I could see that <laughs> that's, that's my take on her um, okay, how about, um, we'll, we can rush through it, but tell me about her and Ex Machina. Which of those two did you like better? Mm. You know, it's been a while since I've seen both of those. And um, I don't know which one I really like better. They're kind of different. I liked Ex Machina is sort of such a tight, condensed kind of movie, almost claustrophobic, where you have a guy goes to the uh, home of a crazy tech yeah, they're Mark Zuckerberg. Right. They're Mark Zuckerberg. And he has developed, and he wants to give it the Turing test, the famous test you talked, you, you, you interact with an artificial intelligence to see if you can tell it's an artificial intelligence. You know, see how, and it's sort of like that's the line when artificial intelligence becomes like an actual intelligence. At, at what point do you forget you're talking to a machine? Exactly. And it stars, um, uh, what's his name? The yeah, Weasley Brothers. Hux. Hux. <laughs> it General stars Hux. Hux. What's that guy's name? <laughs> uh, Domhnall Gleeson. Yeah, Domhnall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Oscar Isaacs. Yeah. So you got two people from Star Wars. And then um, it also has... Uh, oh, the There's b- only like one other actor in the whole movie. I know. I, I mean, I there's two, bad. I guess, but... It's the... Oh, what's her name? I can't remember her name. She was nominated for an Oscar for it, too. For that movie? Uh, yes, I... I want to say she was. That surprises me. I, I my thought on it was Ex Machina's, and I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Alicia um, Vikander or Vikander. Or, I don't know who that person is. She at all. and here's the bonus of that movie is it's not just some computer screen he's talking to. It's a she's a robot, but like a you know like a science fiction uh, cliche, the hot female robot. Right. <laughs> so, well, she's got like a human head, but right. like her torso is all see through. But she sort of gets more body as the movie goes on or well, am she I puts crazy? On, she yeah. puts on clothes to hide it and mm-hmm. then when when there's a there's a thing that happens that I'm not going to talk right, about. Right, we won't spoil it. And then she decides she's going to start wearing skin. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll let that just hang there. It's in it and there's a lot of twists in that movie and that movie has a little more action than I kind of expected from yeah. that one. It's also um it's almost like an independent film. Have you, have you ever it, seen the movie Cube? Oh yeah. Now Cube is not a great movie, but it's a cool movie. And it has some great I mean, but it has some great moments. There's like three sets. I don't know anyone movie. disappointed by Cube. I, I mean, cool. it's it's pretty yeah. It's this pretty reminded good. me of a movie like Cube where you have a premise and then the rest there's like three rooms in this whole movie. It's just concrete walls and talking. That's yeah. It's it's great. I mean, it, it's and it greatly contrasts Looper where, you know, there's Looper's car chases, a giant and, yeah. world and everything. Yeah. And um, so the, the other one was her, yeah. which I also liked her a lot. I mean, it, and her is definitely not a action movie at all. It's more of a romantic drama. Yeah. I like guess. A, what do they call those? Like a dramedy? Dramedy kind of. Because there's moments where you laugh. There are, but it's more sort of bittersweet than anything. Joaquin Phoenix, who's now starring in The Joker, plays a guy who's, you know, lovelorn and uh, he falls in love with his operating system. Played by the voice of Scarlett Johansson, who is never seen on screen in the movie. She's a replacement, too. Did you know that? Yeah, it was going to be Michelle Williams, I think. Some, yeah. No, no, no it's, not it's, Michelle Williams, a British woman. Oh. It's one of those It's one of those things like The Office where all the all the characters are just named after the actors. Where they're all, you know, like... Uh, Creed is like that guy Creed is actually Creed, right? Isn't right. that his real name? 
Not only that, he was in the movie or the band The Grassroots in I the don't. 60s. Really? Yes. Creed. He's a Creed Bratton. Well, really? Seriously. He was a, <laughs> I mean, and they had hits. That's why every so often on The Office, he played, uh, and you're getting off topic, but he played, he plays the guitar, I think. Oh my God. Creed Bratton is an American actor and musician. I told you. My, my point is Creed, he's the, his name is Creed and he's also Creed in the show. And I think the person who is the operating system, her name, what, what's Samantha? Samantha Morton. That's the, that's yes. the actress. They just named her okay. right after that. That was a very long tangent to get to that point. That was, but, and I like, um, I liked her a lot. I mean, I remember really liking her. And I think the strength of that movie is it's very much, it's the world building. Yeah. I mean, I you agree. feel this, it's only a little bit in the future. So there's no flying cars or anything. But there's there's a lot of stuff that's just weird enough. Like everybody wears like the high their, pants. Yeah, the pants thing caught me yeah. off. I was like, huh. Like they're all dressed in a just a peculiar manner. I like a. They all have mustaches too. They mostly. do. And Chris, I like Chris, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt has a role in that movie where he, uh, He's very open-minded. He praises Joaquin Phoenix. He's just openly kind to Joaquin Phoenix, who, for a guy who's an introvert and is awkward, you know, it's, it's But he nice. makes his living writing cards, greeting cards, but not like... Beautifulhandwrittenletters.com. Yes, exactly. And it's... So he makes false connections, romantic personal connections with other people... For them. For them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just, yeah. uh, I, I like at some point uh, they go on a double date. Uh, it's Walking Phoenix and his phone. <laughs> his That's right. His operating system. With, uh, with, with Chris Pratt and his, his fiance, girlfriend, wife. I, I forget. I can't remember. I, I know they, Amy Adams is in it too. That's yeah, not She's the neighbor, him. but they, they go on a date and yeah. it's, everybody's open-minded and, and it's like, it's, it's, that sounds mundane and it kind of is mundane, but it's a very sci-fi sort of trope it's like a sci-fi very much but it's played very matter-of-factly it reminded me of almost how the op- the operating system in blade runner i was gonna say the same thing because the, in both movies there's a scene the new blade runner blade runner, right, 2049. blade runner 2049 in both movies there's a scene where the operating system in her or the sort of holographic virtual companion in blade runner get an actual woman to kind of allow the protagonist to have sex with the personality that he loves. Right. And it's it's less awkward in Blade Runner, by the way. It's pretty awkward in this movie. In yeah, her. it's it's strange in both, but it's not it's it's meant to be it's not necessarily meant to be creepy. You're kind of meant to feel for the couple. I think so too. You know what yeah. I mean? So I, I that's 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 funny though. So I, I think I think we both liked her a little better than Ex Machina, but it, they're both great. I think, yeah, they're kind of different. It's hard to... I mean, I would recommend them both. Yeah, me too. Although, I think you need to... Ex Machina is not for kids. No, and her's not I don't think kids. kids will understand it. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, <laughs> I don't think any of these movies are really for kids. Maybe Looper, just because it's got action, but it's... I mean, there's... You know, none of these movies are really for kids. Uh, What's the worst movie you could watch? Not worst. Maybe most violent, most graphic, most whatever movie you could... Watch on an airplane, and it would be inappropriate for the pilot to tell you that you got to turn that off. Uh, I don't. I mean, you mean besides pornography or right. well, a you can't, snuff see, film or but something? But that's not. That's not. That's completely oh, that's not the option. Yeah, because it's a, something the, you theoretically could watch on an airplane. I don't know. There's a lot of my choice was United ninety three. I don't even think they make those planes, those things available. On well, but airplanes. I'd watch it on my laptop or something. Oh. I, I used to do that for the podcast. I would like watch episodes ahead of the. the I know. You used to watch episodes. We used to watch movies on your phone driving to work. I believe that's right. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, back you know this was a while ago before <laughs> they passed that law. Before I have kids and a wife and things I care about anymore. I uh, this was this was a reckless. I time. thought when we had the podcast, you had all the kids. I don't know about that. <laughs> 
But anyway, um, maybe okay. the, the last the last bit before we get to our our featured movie is I want to talk about Ad Astra a little yeah, bit, um, which I have not seen. I think that you're not going to regret missing it in theater. I think you'll you'll watch it at home and you'll think it's cool. Like you'll you'll be you'll be like, all right, I'm glad I watched that. But I don't think you're going to have that sort of regret like with Hateful Eight. Right, I do of, have that regret with Hateful. Where Eight. we regret not seeing it in the big theater. I, I think you won't feel that on Ad Astra. Ad Astra is. Very beautiful. Maybe a little more beautiful than Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Um, and Interstellar's got so many cool shots of planets and black holes. And where I remember we watched that in theaters together. Yeah, we saw that. And we came away both like, mm-hmm. damn. Like there's, you know, the. the and ending. when you kind of think it over. It's, yeah, yeah. right. But it's there Christ- are great moments in that movie. That's exactly yeah. right. It's, it's very Christopher Nolan where if you just don't think too hard, it's wonderful. Exactly. Uh, this is, this is. You don't have to think at all for you to realize there's problems. Really? Like, okay. There's moments where we're like, I, I saw it with a buddy of mine, Kevin, and we just both kind of audibly laughed at times that you probably shouldn't have laughed at. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a lot of, it takes itself very seriously. Like you, you can make fun of Interstellar, right? Because at the end he's like, you know, love, love is the answer or whatever. Right, love right, is the right. fifth element or whatever, whatever the hell Love is, is the fifth element. Like, That's it's another just not, element. You know what I'm saying? It's just crazy, right? This one, there's lines where like Brad Pitt's just in space by himself. And he'll mumble, sons are always cursed to live with the sins of their fathers. That seems like, a little, stuff like that. That's a like, little corny. Okay, Brad. <laughs> like where I, I laughed. And thankfully, the theater was empty again, so it didn't matter. Um, I think you should watch it, but I don't think you'd love it. And it's an easy fourth choice among the four we mentioned. Okay. So do you want to talk about uh, episode two, our featured movie, Jaws? Yes. Uh, a summer girl goes swimming. Swims out a little far. She tires. Fishing boat comes along. It's happened before. I don't think you appreciate the gut reaction people have to these things. Harry, I appreciate it. I'm just reacting to what I was told. Martin, it's all psychological. You yell Barracuda. Everybody says, huh? What? You yell shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Tell me about it. Tell me about Jaws. Tell me the plot, when to come out. Tell me all you can. Jaws came out in, uh, that would be in 1975. It was a huge hit. As a matter of fact, it, I believe The Godfather was the previous all-time box office champion, but Jaws, <laughs> no pun intended, blew that out of the water. Nah. It, in <laughs> many ways, is the movie that led to what movies are today. And you'll hear a lot of 70s film fans say, back before Jaws and Star Wars, the 70s were all like Chinatown and Godfather and serious movies for serious film goers. And then Jaws, the popcorn movies, just the studios just started chasing that money then. Whatever. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it was, I mean, Jaws was a huge global phenomenon. Everyone saw it. Everyone was talking about sharks. I mean, it was the the music was everywhere. It was could just you, giant. Could you make the case that Star Wars is the movie that turned everything into the big summer popcorn? No, but Jaws is the one that started it, though. So I've read a little bit about the production, and we're going to get into production and, and box office and just everything, right? But this was not an easy movie to make, and it was not... When it was done, everybody was relieved, right? No, like, famously, it was not an easy movie to make. Now, this is not Steven Spielberg's first movie. It's his second... Second movie, but plus this is... Plus, he had a TV movie. Yeah, he did some TV shows. He did Sugarland Express, which was a very small film. And then he did this, which was a big film that became a huge film. I right. mean, this is the reason we still see movies by Steven Spielberg today is because Jaws was such a hit back then. This put him on the map. I read that they, this was the, I think the second movie 
where a studio said, you know what, we're blitzing. We're going to put posters everywhere. It's yeah. going to be on TV. I think I read they put in 450 theaters, which at the time... Which was, was huge. because was massive. It was like all of them. What <laughs> people forget now is back then, or before Jaws, I should say, is what studios would do like with a movie like The Godfather or something, is they would put it in the big cities. You know, they put it in some theaters in big cities. And then gradually they would roll it out to smaller markets. and sm- I mean, it may take months before it came near town. I swear that's what happened with a movie called Road to Perdition. That's my favorite movie of all time, where it did We've not show up in Rockford in the first week or two. Like, I kept waiting. We had we used to have an art house theater in town, uh, Colonial Village, I think. Colonial Village, sure. And I had I just kept... I, me, who doesn't care about movies at all, I was like, I want. I, I had heard that Tom Hanks was the bad guy, and he's not. You know, he's Tom he's, Hanks. He's uh, sort of, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. Yeah. he's Tom. But he's I, the good bad guy. In my head, I was fixated on this idea. Tom Hanks is a bad guy. I want to see that movie. And then I just kept looking in the paper, in the newspaper. I can't. You know, and it I, was not, it just wasn't there until one day it was. I'd have to, I don't, I, I think that may just, you can blame Rockford for being late. Fair enough, fair enough. But one. it just makes me think of your the strategy right. where you start in the big city, it spreads out. But the idea of throwing a movie in as many theaters as possible to grab that opening box office. And back then, people didn't care about that. Like the opening box office numbers, they didn't really care about it. They figured it would give time to build. There were fewer movies and... I don't know if there are more theaters, but there was less competition. There were three channels. There was no hardly any cable. There were no VCRs. There were no video games. <laughs> I mean, this was it. Yeah. And uh, and this was based, by the way, on a huge best-selling blockbuster book by Peter Benchley. I've I've not read the book. I know no. the one big detail I've heard is that. Um, well, we'll get into the two plot characters later. have an affair. Yeah, right. I mean this this much like God, I haven't read this, although I remember my parents had a copy. Because I remember when I was a kid, I would look at the cover because it had a tiny little naked lady on it. <laughs> you know what's funny about that is you, your wife is a librarian. Yeah. And you love, I presume you like this movie? Oh, yeah. I love this movie. You just never thought to read the book? Like it never, no, when your I librarian was, well, wife never said, here's Jaws? No, but well, I didn't see Jaws until I was in late high school, maybe. I mean, I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it later. Do you know when I saw Jaws? I know. You saw it like this week. Last I mean, night. Last I night. Saw okay. Jaws for the first time last night. But here, this is one more thing about the book. Um, much like The Godfather, which I have read, this is a classic case of a bad to mediocre book becoming a great movie. Like I've read The Godfather, it's not good. It's not like this great classic I've read the novel. The Godfather too. Uh, Puza. Yeah, Mario Puzo. Yeah, I read that in a, a like a postmodern fiction yeah, book. It's you know, not. Or, or it's classic. just a real kind of crappy airport novel. You know, I mean, just kind of like a. A sleazy little, not sleazy, but just a dumb little read. Yeah. The movies elevate it. Okay. Which happens a lot too. But the plot, we're going to. Yeah, it's plot, plot of Jaws. Is, um, takes place in Amity, which is a small beach community, I think somewhere in Martha's Vineyard. Is it area. Amity Island? Yeah, Amity Island. It's a Island. fictional town, but right. it, it does, it was filmed at Martha's Vineyard. Right, right. And um, it's summer. You know, this is the big season because it's a beach community. There's a new sheriff, Hooper, played by... There's a new sheriff in town. There is a new sheriff in town, played by uh, Roy Scheider, who starred a few years earlier in French Connection. He famously does not like the water. He's from New York. He feels uncomfortable in the water, but, you know, it's his job. Do they give the reason why he moved out here? It was like a fresh start kind of thing. Uh, I can't remember. They allude to it, maybe? They ca- there, there's a moment where he says, let's go home. and Yeah, and she, she says, says, you mean New York? Yeah, but he, I think he says it 
one point. I can't remember. You know, it's not, you don't have to look it up. Yeah. I don't, but I, I thought I remember him saying, we came out here to get away from the violence or the claustrophobic. Or I think, yeah, I think they're he, trying to change their lives. I mean, New York was a hellhole right. at this point. So, you know, picture picture him leaving the world of Taxi Driver. And I was going to say, picture, leaving Warriors, but sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Got it. But um, in the opening scene, legendary opening scene of the movie, <sighs> a, uh, a girl goes skinny dipping and is killed by the shark. She is a uh, stunt woman turned actress mm-hmm. or actor. She I plays know. virtually the same role in Steven Spielberg's movie 1941, where she goes swimming and instead of a shark, a Japanese submarine lifts her up out of the water. That's miserable. It's like, well, it's a spoof of the opening oh, okay, of Jaws. Okay, yeah, okay. it's a comedy. But um, so Brody wants to close the beaches. The mayor, played by Murray Hamilton, who we saw in Last week. The we graduate. saw him in The Graduate. That's right. He's Mr. Robinson. I think he's better in The Graduate than he is in this. He's great in this. But anyway, he has a great sport coat with little anchors on it. I love that sport coat. But anyway, he wants he doesn't want to close the beaches. It's almost the 4th of July. My God, this is the best season. More shark attacks. Finally, they convince them they're going to go get the shark. So uh, Sheriff Brody, along with Hooper, who is a young marine biologist played by Richard Dreyfuss, who we also saw last week in The Graduate. Did we? He's the he's. I remember I said he has a tiny role in. He's one of the guys in the rooming house where Benjamin is. Oh really? He's yeah. just like one of the guys. He's just who's an like, extra. His career hadn't taken off at this gotcha. point. He'd done a lot of TV. I think he became a star a couple years earlier with American Graffiti. I had heard that he. I heard. I read that he uh, turned down this role. He might. Have. I mean, he, he, well, the, the story. That's. I'm glad you don't know it. I like I, it when I can contribute. Well, there you go. I, I read because I. He's good. Uh, Richard Dreyfus is really weirdly compelling. Yeah, for, he, for like a little twitchy guy, he's a schlubby little guy. Yeah, but he's, you know, seems like a nobody, but he's really interesting. Well, yeah, he well he plays off Brody in the third member. We'll get to in a yeah, second. Right, right. Uh, but apparently, he had turned him down. He turned Spielberg down, uh, and then because he had a, his own feature role, like that was about to come out or that he was finishing or something, mm-hmm. and his feature role came out and it bombed, and critics hated it too. And he thought, oh, my God, my career is over. And he rushed back to Spielberg and was like, I'll take it. I changed my go. mind. And keep in mind, turning down Steven Spielberg back then was not like turning down Steven Spielberg now. He no. was just this new director that nobody knew who he was. And he may be making a bomb. Apparently, uh, Spielberg got turned down a lot. Yeah. So There's a I'm lot sure he of did. people who got passed. Yeah. So anyway, so the third person on the boat and the guy who owns the boat is um, Quint, who is a grizzled old fisherman sort of guy. You know, he like Hooper is all book learning. And uh, Quint is all, you know, actual experience kind of learning. And they go out on the boat to go after this great white shark. And I won't spoil the rest. But sure. that's that's the whole... That takes you sort of into the third act of the movie. But there's really, like... I I would almost say two halves of the movie. Mm-hmm. There's, there's like, the, the townie... Uh, sure. I mean, you could almost... It could be the setup to, a, like, a Friday the 13th movie. It's, mm-hmm. it's a... Ta- I actually really like it. I was thinking... I, I was wondering because, and Billy and I deliberately didn't discuss this movie at all. So yeah. I was wondering if Billy and I actually said to my wife, "I said, what am I going to do with Billy if he doesn't like Jaws?" And my wife said, "You might just have to end your friendship." <laughs> I I don't I don't love Jaws. Mm-hmm. I did like Jaws, sure. Um, and I kept thinking the whole time, like, uh, especially after reading about it, you know, you, you watch the movie, you read about it. It's weird how hard it was just to make this movie seem normal. Like when you watch it, it's very mundane, and I don't right. Mean it that is. Negatively. It is. It's not Jaws. No. It's just. I mean, the thing about this movie that strikes me because I came in, I saw it years after I've read about it and read the Mad Magazine, you know, all that. Yeah, you stuff. had my experience. I did, and 
what surprises me especially is like i said people think this is this big popcorn movie that ruined cinema this movie feels very much like a 70s movie it's very low-key it's like quentin tarantino it's like we talked about with quentin tarantino says it's like a hangout movie yeah it is you spend time with the characters you get to know them there's not a lot of action there's some it's um it's definitely two halves though because so that first half is you you meet a lot of characters in town you you see relationships you sort of it's a lot of like chewing the scenery like what what do they call that uh, uh shooting the rodeo shooting the rodeo like yeah. just normal people on a beach nobody's yeah. too fat or skinny or buff or it's tan all... they're just normal there's a lot of people with sunburns on their back it feels very realistic have you ever been to um anywhere in the northeast like that um not on a beach <laughs> i've been to a place called exeter new hampshire i've heard um, of it i had to go there a couple times for work and it just reminded me exactly of mm-hmm. jaws it's it's this it's like little fish fries and, and yeah barbecue joints and it's a little resort town and yeah, it's, it's, it's it just seems very quaint i mean i know now that's like the millionaires hangout yeah but in the movie sense it just seems they're not yeah and the thing is i mean now you think of spielberg is huge budget and very slick and everything this and i would argue close encounters in et to an extent it's very mundane it feels very lived in it it doesn't feel like a hollywood movie it feels like an independent film in a lot of ways but then a thing happens where they decide they do like you said they need to go after the Mm -hmm. shark like the shark is sort of this quiet menace and we'll talk about that a Mm -hmm. lot yeah uh uh who's suddenly loud uh (laughs) And then they make this decision, we're going to go get the shark. And it's funny because uh, the sheriff, uh, Brody, Brody, his wife's like, well, what am I going to tell the kids? And he's like, tell them I went fishing. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. You know? <laughs> but they get on a boat and they go out. It becomes almost like um, like, like Captain Ahab. Yeah, it's like Moby Dick. It almost, You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like, especially uh, especially our, our Quint. Quint. Quint's our, very like, much like an Ahab character. Yeah. I mean, he starts sabotaging the radio. He ruins yeah. the engine. Well, that's toward the end. Yeah. Because yeah, he wants to get... Because... They see how big the, there's a fame, maybe the most famous line in the movie when Brody finally sees the shark and he says, "We're going to need a bigger boat." I'm pretty sure that was ad libbed. It may have been, but they build on that because he's now it's in his head like this is too big for us. Let's call the Coast Guard. We need help. And Quint wants this shark. Yeah, and he doesn't want anyone else to help him. He wants to get this shark. Have you ever seen? I know what you did last summer. It has your girl in it, I know. Jennifer Love Hewitt is it? I didn't, this is not where I was going. Oh. Uh, it does feature uh, the love of my life, Jennifer Love Hewitt. But uh, I, I imagine that Quint is the guy they accidentally killed. Oh, in the, the, the Gordon's fisherman guy. Yeah, just the guy, like just the guy in a rain slick along the highway, just slat. Like that's that's Quint. He's just this crusty old. He's like a Simpsons character. He is, but he's great. Ca- I mean, he those three. That's three great characters. Yeah. You have Hooper, Quint on both ends, and you can have Brody in the middle. Yeah, Brody's. I don't think Brody's that great of a character. He's. I mean, I don't. Mean but that you need the three to balance. It. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be Brody's us. He's the regular guy. Yeah. He's the schmo. That moment. I. I, I gotta say, I actually related uh, to uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character. Of we all. Here's. <laughs> the, we all. We all want to be Quint, but we're all really more Hooper. <laughs> well, yeah. you're right. When when you see Quint, the you know the crusty old seaman, like takes his beer can and crushes it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh Dreyfus like crushes his styrofoam yeah, cup. Yeah, styrofoam cup. <laughs> I mean it's a joke scene, but it's 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 funny and it shows the and, but you know they establish that Dreyfus he's not an idiot. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. He no. just has a more scientific thing. Like when he has to tie that knot for Quint, he gives it to him. He's has experience. Agreed. Yeah, and Quint I don't know if I don't know if there's ever a scene where you know, in a lesser movie I think there'd be a scene where Quint's like, I've come to respect you, man. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Although 
I don't know. Do you want to do we want to talk about the best scene in the whole movie? I think this movie is 40 years old, right? Uh-huh. Go ahead. Like let's Well, I mean, everyone knows this scene, but what did you think was cuz I watched it again and when this scene was over, I was like, that is such a great scene. I I guess I'd have to think about it. Um I'll give you a hint. The shark is not in it. No, so I I really it seems out of place. Uh I really liked the f- the fake shark, the kids, the two kids. Oh, that's hilarious. That's like, not my favorite scene, but that's where I I, I was like, I, I the only thing that I have against that particular scene um, is that I wasn't sure w- are those uh, Brody's Brody's kids. I don't think so, but they look kind of like them. And oh, they're, they all the seventies because the young like, yeah they do. By yeah. the way, Brody's little the young kid. What a weird looking kid, <laughs> man. That kid's like a mutant. <laughs> He looks like the the girl in uh in uh, what's that movie the Hereditary? <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> a weird looking girl. Wow, I thought they uh I thought they all looked like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory grown up. That's what we all look like. They just like floppy blonde. But it's know. when the it's when maximum panic about the sh- this is before they go on the boat. The, the town is in maximum panic mode. Oh, everyone's worrying about. Well, no, I'm just going to talk about the kid scene that you mentioned for a second, yeah. just to set up for people. And they're looking for fins. They see a fin. They all go out, and it's two kids with a fake fin on cardboard. And there's people pointing rifles at them. <laughs> and then the one goes, the little brother. He, the little brother says he made me do he it. He made me do it. There's a great <laughs> Simpsons spoof when that same thing is happening. Homer's out there swimming. He sees a fin. He panics. It flips over. Of course, it's Bart with a fake fin. And Homer keeps panicking. Goes shark boy, shark boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> what was your favorite scene? My favorite scene. And I would, I think most people would think this is a favorite scene is when they're talking about their scars and Quint tells the story of the USS Indianapolis. Yeah. That's, and you know, he, he, I mean, it was in the script, but he sort of took it and ad-libbed it, made it his own. I think he was a little bit drunk when he did it too, but it's so good. It's just so compelling. And then at the he gives that perfect sign because it's all about, he was on the US, this is a true story too. He was on the USS Indianapolis. It was the... It was the ship that was delivering the atomic bomb that they dropped on Hiroshima at the end of World War II. The ship was torpedoed, went under. All the guys are in their life jackets waiting to be rescued, but there's no rescue coming immediately because it was a secret mission. And then the sharks come. And the sharks ate like, I don't know, three quarters, seven-eighths of the guys in the water. I mean, a huge amount. And he tells this horrifying story about waiting in the water and seeing all his friends get eaten. And then at the very end, he just goes, we delivered the bomb. You know, that was the time I was most frightened, waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. So, 1,100 men went in the war. 316 men come out. The sharks took the rest June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. Yeah, and it's just so good. Um, that scene got a little uncomfortable. Not not just so. I all right. I thought that speech went maybe a little long. I remember I looked at my phone at one point when it happened. Well, no, and should I do. You should time every scene to see if. It, oh, <laughs> shut up! I was sitting there and I noticed that I picked up my phone and I set it down right away and went, "Oh, I, I guess I must be bored. I know that I'm watching something cool, but I, you know, I don't know. I just it felt long to me. Also, I thought it. I, I just real quick. I'd seen it a bunch of times. I actually thought of felt short this time when I watched it. I'm like, really? Wow. It, it There's I, no monologues in the movie besides that. Though. No, it's the one. It's That's the, the one, one monologue. Yeah. So it seemed kind of out of place. But, oh, um, I think it's great. But up until that point, uh, 
that that scene is the three guys showing their scars. Yeah. And that gets like kind of too goofy. Like they do seem kind of drunk. Well, they are. Like, I mean, the actors seem kind of drunk. I don't I, know. They might have been. I don't know. I mean, I know Robert Shaw had had a little bit to drink, but I mean, it's kind of it builds, you know, it's it starts goofy and then it just makes that pivot into really serious. Um, why can't I remember Dreyfus's character's name? Uh, he's a uh, uh, Hooper. Hooper. Ho- yeah. Hooper like shows him a leg scar and then Quint shows his leg scar. They're kind of topping each other. And then, and... But Hooper like literally throws his leg yeah. over the top of it. And I was like, hmm, it's getting I a little... I think they're, they're a little drunk though. Yeah. And then, and then if you notice, uh, Brody like goes and looks at his appendix scar. But he like kind of looks to see if... I don't know why I'm doing this. And yeah, we're not yeah, on camera. Yeah. But he like looks and he doesn't say anything. Yeah. Because yeah. he has no real scars Yeah. Like he doesn't have anything to show. I thought, honestly, I thought that was like going to be a New York City story. I oh, thought no. we were going to get the... I got shot and it's, now I'm here. It's all about Quint. Yeah. 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 You I know, some, and by the way, in a terrible movie called Chasing Amy, they do a big spoof of that scene. And I have a few notes here for you, um, not to derail it too much. Um, I think it's fascinating that this is a PG-rated horror movie. It is, and there's nudity at the beginning, it's like too. full frontal nudity. Yeah. And I don't think... The 70s, boy, they ruled, buddy. I just think that now we have HD, and in 1975, that was probably a little more blurry and a little more if, obscured. If you want to know how HD has changed things, watch the opening credits of any James Bond movie released in the 70s. Sure. All those blurry silhouettes of naked women, they are crystal clear now, my friend. <laughs> That's really funny. I've never really seen any of those. I've only seen the one that I think me and Kevin both said was terrible. You didn't, well, you guys were both well, it, was, it was very and, racist. You it was like weirdly racist. It was just a black exploitation movie. It Which movie racist. was it? Which Live one? and Let Die. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. Okay, I thought uh, Jaws is a hell of a title because it is. you don't think of Jaws with a shark. I mean, you think of like fins and or, teeth. Or teeth, yeah. But, but like the, the mouth of being called Jaws, I know that's just the book. And you right? get a lot of the visuals of, you know, you see a lot of shark jaws in when you go to uh, Quint's house, or place. Quint's house, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's tons of them. And you see, and, and then when Brody Brody's looking through the books... And there's like pictures of like people standing in jaws that are so big and all that. It makes kind of thing. sense, and they they the yeah. reason why they don't think the first shark was probably the shark is because it's the jaws bite radius aren't big enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, although I, there's a moment um, where Hooper is in Quint's house and he's seeing all the teeth and stuff, and he just gets this like little grin. It's just a quick yeah. reaction shot where he just he's like, "This is cool." He's, like, he's loving it. I yeah. mean, Hooper's having fun. Yeah, yeah. Until uh, he's not. <laughs> I wrote. Um, I wrote great name, bad logo. What do you think of the logo of Jaws? You mean the the shark? No, no, no. Head? Just the word Jaws in red. Like it's it's seems fun. Like the word Jaws is written. It's I it, you don't have to pull it up now or anything. I mean, I know what it looks like. I mean, the thing is, you know, I could barely remember that because that cover was iconic. Sure. I used to draw a sh- I would like draw in my school notebooks like that shark just with like a circle on top of a circle on top of a circle and then draw the teeth and the eyes on yeah. the side. I I mean that was ubiquitous that image? It, uh, it was like the Jurassic Park. I'm not talking logo about was. the cover. I'm talking about just the logo, the word Jaws. Yeah, you don't care. Well, we're both graphic artists, my friend. I thought I you know. might care. But I think it works. If you're going to ask me, I think it works because it's red against white, black, and blue. Sure. Um, I want to talk about uh, the score a little bit. Oh, which is arguably the star of the movie. I guess but I'll just let you go. Can you talk about it a little bit? I mean, Tell us. you know, and I, I'm was, sure Spielberg must have commented on this. Is John Williams? This is where John Williams and Spielberg came together, and I mean, to talk about the score, I think I must have to talk about how the shark special effect did not work like right. they wanted. That's what I was because um, you know they had this robot shark, famously nicknamed Bruce, and who is it, uh, Spielberg's agent. Right, 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 and it just didn't work. 
you know, it's it's hard to film on the water notoriously, and it was hard to get a mechanical shark to work, and they, they weren't going to do any CGI back in the 70s or use miniatures or anything. So That's kind of what I was getting at earlier, by the way, to interrupt you. Uh, the movie looks like a normal movie. It's funny how much work and effort was put in to maintain like these normal shots because they're in water right. and they're on a gimbal. It's and hard things. to do, yeah. I, I heard this story uh, on another podcast that I listened to uh, where you would set they they'd set things up uh, in the bay wherever it was in the northeast and they'd have to have like a clear horizon right but that would go on for like 20 miles and if one damn sailboat kind of uh-huh. goes by you know how long it takes them to clear like a 20 yeah. mile thing like, and now they could cut all that out wow. but you couldn't and it's and real quick as long as you're doing that there is there is actually two moments in the movie where something came into the background that they didn't expect but if you watch jaws very carefully when they're on the boat there's a scene where Brody gets his gun out and it's dark and he's you see an actual shooting star behind him. It's like a purpley color. Yeah, it's like a little meteorite and it's not a special effect. It just happened to catch it on camera. Well, but they there's two of them. There's yeah. another one. And they're both real. I mean, yeah. they're not they weren't intentional. I you mean, they didn't that, add that with the computer in post? They did not. Mm. You know, Spielberg now he would add all kinds uh, the of the walkie-talkies instead of the guns. Lucas and, would have made <laughs> he God only knows what Lucas would have done. <laughs> but, like um, just like a jaws constellation would oh appear in the sky. God. <laughs> but, but because the shark didn't work, Spielberg had to get creative, film a lot just below the waterline, film a lot of the camera almost as the shark. You know, a lot of shadows, a lot of people panicking and reacting to something that we weren't going to see on camera. Yeah. And the score, you know, the, the score kind of becomes the shark. That's, that's I, dun, dun, I'm so dun, happy dun, you dun, said that because yeah. I thought the same thing. Like, you can't see anything. You're uh, sometimes the camera is sitting on top of the water, like mm-hmm. you're not under, and people kind of. Seem oh, but it's nervous. right at that water line. It's and like, then yeah. the music starts to pick up, and it's like that is that's, that's the, shark, the shark. Yeah, where I was going, oh man, like that's amazing. And it's, I mean, again, in the '70s when I was a kid, you heard that everywhere. Every sure. like people <laughs> would just do that. They'd go dun 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 dun. People dun, seemed dun. much more annoying in the '70s. We were. It was a crazy decade. <laughs> Better for movies, all of us. but you know. <laughs> But, um, I mean, yeah, John Williams' contribution to this movie cannot be overstated. I it's mean, so funny because it's two notes. It is. <laughs> just, and he uh, would, uh, I'm sure he did, dun, 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 dun. But it works beautifully. You don't need anything more complicated. I know, I know. It's, just, it's so crazy how, like, I mean, honestly, like, you, you, you have teams of guys trying to make a mechanical shark. You, I heard there was a writer strike going on, so there's like this deadline. You're it trying to get a, stuff. It it's, was a nightmare to make this movie. And one guy goes, "I have this idea," yeah, bah, dun, bah. Dun, bah, bah. and it worked. <laughs> I mean, and this is before Star Wars, Superman, Close Encounters, E.T. God knows it's before Harry Potter, Raiders. You know all the scores John Williams has done, and this is the and he had done stuff long before this too. TV yeah. scores and that, but this is the one that put him on the map. The instrumentation changes a little bit. Sometimes it's just I think it's a cello. And then sometimes it's like a whole orchestra, mm-hmm. you know, where it just kind of helps with the swell and but everything. All you need, you know, every so often he'll just throw those little dun dun dun. Yeah, yeah. Just dun dun. Um, I thought listening to it in the pre credits or whatever, like when the when the um, when the, you know the the credits and everything are rolling, it kind of sounds like Hitchcock. I would think so. Like I mean, the way I mean, Psycho's got the super high it's got the, ones. It's, that's all strings, yeah. But, but uh, it has that realistic sounding tone. Oh, I think so. And Bernard Herrmann did all Hitchcock's classic scores. I think John Williams definitely. I mean, he God knows he knows of Bernard Herrmann, so I'm sure you know it's a suspense. You know, thing about Jaws, it's it's not really. I mean, it's an action movie in parts, but it's mostly a suspense movie, right? 
that gets excited. You know, there's a lot of action toward the very end. I wrote, uh, I'm just reading through my notes. Interrupt me. I figure this, I'll, I'm kind of guiding you through talking points. <laughs> Guide me through. Buddy. I really like the way uh, Spielberg shows townies. He's good at family. Like the, um, we've talked about uh, privately, you and I, um, like J.J. Abrams, the people think of him as the next Spielberg because he's very good at capturing the little like sentimental nostalgia. Almost, I would almost call it like the Stranger Things effect. Right. Well, you know? I think, I mean, Stranger Things is, hugely indebted to Spielberg. No Absolutely. Spielberg, no Stranger Things. And I just, it's, you can see it in this movie. Yeah. You can see the little family units, just quick bits of dialogue where they're almost like giving you exposition, but you can't tell. It's like right. mask. It's very good. I uh, mean, even, and I don't know if we'll ever get to it, but, you know, his next movie starring Richard Dreyfus, Close Encounters. I've never is, seen that. I love Close Encounters. And it is, it's like, like, this is a shark movie, but sort of with a real American setting. Mm -hmm. That's a flying saucer movie, but the, the the family stuff feels so lived in and so realistic. Like, the house is messy, and the kids are running around, and it just feels... It doesn't feel like a Hollywood family. It feels like an actual isn't, Midwestern family. Isn't Close Encounters just sort of like a lesser E.T.? I, I say no, that in earnest. Close Encounters is... I mean, E.T. is about an alien coming down and they interact with the alien. Close Encounters is about people seeing flying saucers and wondering what they are and is there a cover-up. And it's a E.T. is a smaller scope, oh, okay. more personal movie, sort of for kids. Close Encounters is, is adults reacting. Oh, okay. And they're both great. And Close Encounters ending, where, spoiler, you do meet the aliens, mm. is like a great sort of... Like a big ending. Just like, like AI. Like how you like how at the end of AI when they meet the aliens? No, it's different. Although the aliens are kind of tall and thin. Yeah. The aliens in, in Close Encounters, I mean, I don't know quite how they did the special effects. Because this is, I think this was 77. They look great. And they look like alien too. It's like a really, it's well done. I, I've ET never, has the same. I don't think I've seen even a glimpse of that movie. I've seen a movie called Space Camp. <laughs> with, uh, not, with... I've, with uh, Spielberg's wife, Kate Capshaw's in that. I feel like Joaquin Phoenix might be in that, I too. think he is as a young kid. I, I saw that as a kid. I've never seen Close Encounters. I've never like, seen Space It's, it's funny how many things you've, like, you know, you pick and choose where you spend your yeah, time. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, Jaws, these movies were huge when I was young, but then after a while, new things come out that are huge, and, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I had seen parts of Jaws. I, parts of it seemed familiar. The settings seemed very familiar. I couldn't tell, though, if that was just because of my trips to Exeter. Like it just felt very like oh I, I know I know what I'm looking at I've yeah. seen this before but it might also just be because I've seen this movie in the background as a and kid it or influenced a lot of movies after it sure. so you know you've seen the movies that were inspired by Jaws I wrote uh, fuck Murray I'm glad his wife cheated on him in the Graduate oh, I don't I love like the him. mayor I know <laughs> well he's a weasel and I mean but he's the character you need like because if they just closed the beaches there'd be no movie I I mean and it's funny because he's mostly right. Like he's like telling the sheriff, like, "Hey, you you can't shut our town down." Like right. it's, it's it is it gets weird because because um, I can't remember the sheriff's name now. Brody 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 is an outsider, right. so you're gonna have that natural tension but he is where the sheriff, yeah, you don't understand, you know. But but to be fair, Murray's you know right when he's I mean they, the next scene after Murray says I'm not closing the beach is like a giant cruise ship unloading like a thousand yeah. people. To it's come. their Fourth of July weekend. It's their I mean, whole. It'll economy. destroy the town's economy. Right. I know. I mean, it's. Plus, he's got that great sport coat with little anchors on it. Yeah, it's How just... How I love that? It's sort of... it's. I just felt bad. Um, there's a lot of really cool setups that the payoff ends up being the shark later. Like, uh, do you remember... There's there's one scene, so the 
the town has decided it's a free for all. Everybody go get the shark. Right, every, right, right, every right, right, right. Local is going to go out there and get it. And two two guys sneak out at night to on do the it. pier. I think on the little, I think they're nobody, right? Are they? They're even just named? some schmoes. Yeah, uh, they go out on the little pier, little and tiny. There's a couple shots like where uh, you don't see anything. There's no shark in that yeah. at all. And the basically they they go their boat gets hit by the, the shark hits their boat or something right. It pulls them. It, oh, it pulls it, it yanks the, pier. The, do, the little pier away. Yeah, they yeah. basically try to fish the shark. They try to fish Bruce, and Bruce comes in, and Bruce pulls so hard. That he's it, never called Bruce in the movie. I know. But but I know. We needed to. That's what you know, he's. Yeah. To he he pulls the dock off, and mm-hmm. it ends up taking. And the one guy's on it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he goes in the water, and then all of a sudden it becomes like it's genuinely terrifying. Yeah. And it's it's night, and when they he ends up swimming to the dock, and then his buddy kind of pulls him up this broken thing. And there's like a cutaway shot, and they show both of his legs. Yeah, and it's like the most relief. I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Yeah, he didn't lose I'm his so legs. I'm so glad this weirdo stranger that I'm never gonna care about again has both of his well, legs. Well, that's a that's a good director. He makes you care about stuff in the moment. There's another shot uh, at the Captain Ahab portion of the movie where our our Captain boys Ahab. are jump. I don't know the adventure, like the mm-hmm. the go hunt Bruce thing, where there's a shot. It's it's the camera's mounted on the boat, like almost on the floor of the boat. And it's like kind of an all hands, everybody battle stations kind yeah. of moment. And they just show, you just see legs like flow over like a ledge almost and land on the side of the boat and then come rushing toward the camera. And then uh, uh, Brody, I'm sorry, not Brody, Hooper's legs land and he slips. Yeah. And I was like, uh-huh. and it's just this little subtle thing where I'm like, and it ends up, there's all these moments after that where, uh, you know, let go of that rope. If you don't let go of that rope, it's going to burn gonna your burn hand. Your or you're go- he gets just stuck with the rope and all that. And there's just it's like a space movie. There's just danger yeah, everywhere. That's what he, I mean. He, you know, the whole movie. Some people would say like, why well, it takes so long to get to the boat? But you set all that up. You know, it's all set up. So when it stuff starts happening, you don't have to set it up. It's all been established. The level of danger has been established, so you can just kind of ride with it. Then. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. have to. It's not like the only thing around is just the sharks, like viciousness you know no there's all kinds of ways to die on the water right i mean the boat catches on fire at one point right yeah <laughs> i like uh quint is like uh brody why don't you put that fire yeah out? Like, he's like very uh, put the fire out yeah, fire there chief <laughs> fire out he's like very yeah quint yeah. is so good i i don't know what's that actor's robert name? robert shaw robert shaw is he he's in been other in stuff? other stuff yeah he's in uh, he was in taking pelham one two three we did that he, once he was the lead villain Oh, I don't remember. And he's in, uh, around this time, he was also in The Sting. I don't even know what that is. Which is a movie that people don't seem to remember now, but it was huge. I've I've never even heard of The Sting. I think it won the Oscar. (laughs) It starred Paul Newman and Robert Redford and Robert Shaw. It was a giant blockbuster hit. That sounds fantastic. Maybe we should do It was all about con men and stuff. Yeah, we could do The Sting. Yeah, that sounds great. It was giant. Everyone had the soundtrack album, which was like old ragtime music and everything. Okay. Uh, I, I don't mean to just like dominate this. I, I'm no. just reading through my notes, but I think Hooper plays a very good drunk. I mean, he's that guy's a good actor, like a really good actor. There's moments where Hooper is telling his story and he kind of like stops to catch his breath. And it seems so authentic because it's like you, you've been drunk. Like you kind of like, yeah. it's real. Like it's like, I need a minute. Like I'm talking too fast. I need to, that, that happens to me. And I thought it was good acting. <laughs> um, and then I just have two quotes. I, I uh, What are the quotable lines from this movie to you? Well, the, the, the one I already mentioned is we're going to need a bigger boat. I mean, that's the big one. That's the first one I wrote. The only other one I wrote down was, here's to swimming with bow-legged women. That's right. Quinn's out. was like, what? He's great. He's great. Well, you know, because you swim through their legs. That's like an old song. You got to see this movie again for the first time, presumably in a while. Uh, what are your sort of, I don't want to say final thoughts, but, you know, 
watching it again with a recent perspective is the point of this podcast. I would say what struck me about it is that, like I said, even though it was this giant blockbuster movie, it feels like a small indie sort of a film. It feels like a very character-driven film that happens to have a shark in it, rather than something like, like say, uh, Twister, which is a movie with tornadoes and characters that are about as paper thin as you can imagine. This movie has characters that you can actually get into. You know, I think it's, and and thus you care more about them when the bad things, bad stuff starts happening. Is there is there a reason? I, I, you're right. I feel like the director of Twister knew his characters are paper thin. He did. He, it's but but is that always bad? I mean, it's, it sounds like on the surface, it's like you should always invest. You should always have character driven moments and blah 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 blah. Well, but, you should have. But are there reasons why you would just not need that? I get. I mean, if it's a re- well, I mean, if you're if all you care about is like you know the special effects and that, I yeah, mean, maybe it would get in the way. But it's I can never see a movie where if you don't care about the characters a little bit more, it will make the danger more real and it'll make you like. You know, Spielberg made you care about those two goofballs on the dock that you I don't even know their names. I, I didn't no know who idea. the actors were. I was trying to remember later on they find a dead body because the shark had eaten underneath the boat and come up. Was that one of the two guys? No, I don't that I think was, those guys both escaped. Sure. Yeah. Well that that came later though. Yeah. That came at anyway. Uh I was thinking about um the big summer blockbuster, think about like Independence Day. Right. Where That where was the other one I was going to give the example of. Rather our, than our hero, Jeff Goldblum, is like, I have to save the planet. I oh, have to save the planet. It's and like, we love Jeff Goldblum on this Love podcast, Jeff Goldblum. But that movie is terrible. And the characters are so goddamn stupid. <laughs> <laughs> My, um, I like Jaws a lot. Uh, I, I didn't love it. I think I like The Graduate better, maybe. I don't know. It's in, it's in the same ballpark. Um, but I thought it was shockingly small. It is. Um, and shockingly just quaint. Like, it just, it wasn't, the moments, it worked because the whole movie isn't, like, up to 11. Like, you're not. It does, right, right. You're not supposed to be scared the whole time. No, no. When the moments of scariness come, they're genuinely scary. It's, yeah. like, off-putting. It's, it's like, all oh, balanced, yeah, right. exactly. It's, very, it's a very balanced movie let, that. Let me ask you one question. Yeah. Also, I just, one quick thing. Okay, though. yeah. I think the movie could have been like 20 minutes shorter. Oh, I know, but you're always going to say I know, that. but it's like, it's a two hour movie and it felt, I, I was just like, it's, it, it's, there needs to, if you describe the plot, like really nothing but, happens. But here's, a movie is more than its plot. I know, but. I mean, it's, it's part of the thrill of Jaws for me and for audiences, but you know, back then no one said it had to be shorter. I think it's, I, I know we go over this again and again, but I think the national attention span has gotten dangerously low. I mean, part of the point of the movie is to kind of get into this community and get into the vibe and then just ride it out. That's You say that, except then we hit a point where they go, see a community, and we don't care about them but ever I mean, again. I don't mean just mean the community. I mean the characters and the, you know. I, I know, but they, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, every movie shouldn't be sliced within an inch of its life. You know, I, I, maybe I, I maybe the the Ahab part I would cut by ten minutes. I, it's just it feels long. Billy, let me ask you something. Really? Uh, yes, I believe last night when you were uh, watching Jaws and tweeting away, apparently you sent uh, uh, you you added me in your tweet and said, "Ah, man, Will Piper, gross. A whole movie full of gross." Every <laughs> that was about. Uh, so the next movie we're gonna watch, we we've already picked. We'll reveal that in a minute, but um, that movie's grosser. So I wish in I had known that before way, I sent this. That's tweet. why I was confused. <laughs> but uh, for a PG-rated movie, there's there's full frontal nudity. There's casual limbs. <laughs> I'm gonna call that, it's like a casual bloody limbs, just all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like I would just be watching, 
And I'm like making an effort to keep my phone down and be a good yeah. citizen. Watch the damn movie. Too. And then there'd just be like a forearm, like just waving around yeah. with just blood or pouring like out of it. Or like floating down through the water and blood. And they show that scene of the first, the poor girl, the the skinny dipper, who mm-hmm. like when they find her body, there's just bugs and shit all over it. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. The movie's disgusting. It's about... Well, I thought you just meant people's physiques in the 70s. No, 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 no. no. I, who am I going to talk? Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> that's because all i just i thought it was i couldn't believe i thought i'm watching a pg movie i could watch this with my boys nope <laughs> i, I watched not. it with Allie when she was four well that seems good and she loved it and then later i think i've told the story before but she i kept saying are you scared no are you scared no she wasn't scared at the end later that night wizard of oz was on started watching it she was terrified i think you told this last episode i probably have <laughs> i tell it all it's one of my favorite movie stories. Be, i need a bell counter that's right uh, so as long as we alluded to next week's, do you want to? Yeah, we we uh we did this podcast. I don't know, four years ago now. Um, as a foursome, we had four people on the podcast. It was me, you, Kevin Haas, and our friend Greg Stanley. We cut away the dead wood. Jesus, I just called him Greg. Ben Stanley. <laughs> Greg was at my wedding. Ben was not. It was Ben Stanley. I'm gonna. I have to. I'm gonna edit that. I can't. Why? I can't, it's mean. He's gonna take a lot of offense. He has to listen. When we first started this podcast, it was me, Will, uh, our former co-host, Kevin Haas, and somebody you might not be familiar with, Ben Stanley, who I think is a reporter up in Milwaukee now. I think so. Ben um, didn't watch many of the movies. <laughs> no, and he refused to buy a microphone. Yeah, so, so it, it kind of became, We love Ben, but... Sorry, brother. Hit the bricks. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the movies... We, we, we basically wanted to test out, is this interesting to listen to? You know, yeah. How can we get better? And one of the movies I think we did as a precursor, as a test, was The Fly, featuring Jeff Goldblum. Yes, the, um, the uh, eighty-six David Cronenberg version, not the fifties one. Right, not the the one with the help me. Right. Like Although little... he does say help me, but anyway, but um, to bring it back to the point, yeah. So uh, one of the opportunities to tie this newest iteration of the podcast into an older one was we should probably do that again. I don't know if we ever released it. I don't think we did. Um, and it did lead to just a unhealthy obsession with Jeff Goldblum. We do love Jeff. Despite what I said about Jeff in Independence Day, we love Jeff Goldblum. What I like about Jeff is he's a quirky weirdo, but for the most part, he's super fit in all of his movies. He's like, <laughs> that's well, what you like, really. I do. Wow. I like that he's the handsome, like, hero nerd. I agree. I like him. There, aren't, I don't know there if... aren't hero nerds. That's all I'm saying. It's nothing but hero nerds these now, days. Now, but, you know, Back he's then. like, he's I like him because time. he's a weirdo, but he brings it you know he makes his characters feel very lived in i agreed agreed mm-hmm. and uh i was on that sci-fi kick last week and i just wanted to roll right into the fly and i texted you and you said yeah let's do it let's, let's do it, do it. Show. i so, watched it i mean i've seen it a bunch of times i saw the fly in the theater but i watched it again you watched it again i watched so it last night immediately following jaws next I, episode i have thoughts <laughs> okay well if you want to hear those thoughts tune into our next episode when we will discuss the fly we should be able to get that out Next week, I think that's the promise. So far, we've been every Monday, which I feel good about. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a plea. Uh, it would help us out so much if you would go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Right. And please. please subscribe to the podcast, too, if you can. Um, I want to read you one of our five-star reviews that I got. No. It, it's not. It's so funny. It's it's not a good review, but I don't care. It's I mean, it's a five-star, but... Mr. H.L. Blecker, hey, missed you guys arguing and occasionally agreeing about the good, bad, and ugly about movies. Glad you're back. Also, Goldblum. <laughs> That is a hell of a review there. There you go. That's my old uh, college buddy, Howard Flecker. <laughs> Chris Soprich, you got a shout out last episode. Mm-hmm. Billy is dope, but Will knows what he's talking about. By the way, <laughs> Midsummer was terrible. Oh, he's wrong. <laughs> I love Midsummer. 
Uh, anyway, we'd, we'd love your thoughts. We'll read them on the air, but uh, help us get these five-star reviews. It, it pushes up in the rankings, and um, I think I'm going to start taking out some advertising soon, too, to, to sort of build our audience back up. You're letting them of, peek behind the curtain, Billy. Well, as some of you know, uh, our feed got sort of reset by Apple. So we lost essentially all of our subscribers before, which is tragic. We had a, a good, we were up to about a thousand. Steve Jobs. Damn you, Steve. I know you're dead, but damn you. We know you're still controlling things. <laughs> Find us on Twitter at Out of Theaters. Uh, we only follow Jeff Goldblum. That's right. <laughs> Same for Instagram at Out of Theaters. And uh, look us up on Facebook. We do, we post the episodes there and end up in a conversation with most of the listeners there. Uh, any other thoughts, Will? No, I'm good. Well, we'll miss you all, most of all. Oh,